Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. This is the word of the Lord. Recently, I've been reading about Charles David Moody, Jr. It turns out he was born back in 1956 in Chicago. He had a father who was a very strong man, a very faithful man, and he was someone who wanted to instill the right values in his children, and he had two that he wanted to make sure they understood. The first value was have faith in Christ and be active in your church. And secondly, get a good education. Those were the two values he wanted to just instill in his, all of his children. Have faith in Christ and get a good education. His son David did that very thing. He listened to those values and embraced them. He grew in his faith. He worked hard at school. And in the end, when he graduated from college, he got involved in construction. And in the construction business, he began to find that he really had a great dream to own his own company. And with the strength he found in his faith, he made that leap. And it was in 1987, when he was all of 31 years old, he moved to Atlanta. And there he opened a C.D. Moody Construction Company. The first year, they only had revenue of $1 million total revenue. Obviously, the years have gone by. And today, the C.D. Moody Construction Company has had revenues totaling more than three billion. They've been a very successful company. It was back in 2004 that Fortune Small Business Magazine named David one of the top 15 best bosses in America. The neat thing was David is African American and he'd grown up in the 60s, the turbulent 60s, into the 70s. He understood prejudice, racism, and David, because of his faith, never let that get into his soul, never turned him angry or bitter or cynical. He was a man of grace, a man of kindness. 
He was being interviewed now that he had been chosen one of the top 15 bosses in America. And he was explaining that he felt that his management style had changed right along as his spiritual life had grown. He said, I really feel like as your spiritual life grows, your management style should be growing and changing as well. He explained that when he was a young man, he was a control freak. He said, I was so afraid of making a mistake. I wanted to control everything. I tried to control everything. But as I was growing in my faith, I got to realizing I needed to treat my employees the way I wanted to be treated. The golden rule. Ah. He said, I did it. And as I began living by the golden rule with my employees, something happened. I started to listen more. I started to laugh more. I began to delegate more. I began to trust more. And the company boomed. The employees all said, we know that this man would give us the shirt off his back. He cares about all of us. And they said, don't ever misconstrue that his kindness with weakness he is very strong and he is clear about his values and his expectations of us. But we also know how kind and compassionate and how much he cares about all of us. David felt that a company should be involved in the community. And so he has had the construction company giving scholarships every year to underprivileged kids. Daddy's value, get a good education. He wanted other people to have that opportunity. Every year, scholarships to underprivileged kids to have a vision of going to college. He began to mentor other young people. He took on someone who else would be an entrepreneur and mentored them for 18 months, and then he would take the next one. He began to have interns from the local colleges so they could come and work at the company and see how do you do this. But you know, best of all, he had his company take on an elementary school and a middle school and they provided all the maintenance. All these things that the school district could not afford, they provided the maintenance to the two schools. And the employees then mentored the students. He was doing amazing things. But as I'm reading down through this, this interview, then I got to the part that really caught my mind and, and I was excited about because I read that he was a trustee at Stone Mountain United Methodist Church. He's a Methodist. I was so pleased. Yes, he was a person of faith who really was committed. Have faith in Christ and be active in your church and be committed to a good education. But he saw how he needed to be doing that in the community. And he didn't just do it after the company was so successful. It was interesting. He started the company in 87 and in 1989 when the company was still really on shaky ground. That's when they started giving the scholarships. That's when he began to mentor others. That's when they took on the elementary and middle school. It really was a fascinating interview and I, I want to read you what he had to say. As a business person, we have a responsibility to give back to our communities, whether it's time, money, or both. Not only because we've been blessed, but also because we are role models. 
We give hope to people. I believe you start giving when you have nothing. Then when you become successful, it's a habit from the heart. Helping is a habit from the heart. This year, you and I are going to focus on develop that habit from the heart of helping. It's how we're going to have God use us to help build a better world. This morning, I want to continue with this sermon series and really the theme for this entire year, building a better world. Because right now, you and I are living in a very interesting time when there's such divisiveness, so many harsh words are spoken, people are so critical of one another. It is a difficult and harsh time. And right now, the world, it needs a message of kindness, a message of love. And we are going to be the people who bring that message to the world. We are the ones who will let God reflect His light through us to help build a better world. We're going to be talking about it right now as we look each week to Paul's letter to the Philippians because Paul's letter to the Philippians really is sort of a thank you note. The people of Philippi had blessed Paul in a wonderful way. Right now he is in prison, we believe, in Rome. And we know that in the end he will be executed. But while he is in prison in Rome, the people of Philippi send an emissary to him to bring clothes, to be warm in the winter, to bring books, to bring materials that he can write with. They are there to bring food and to minister unto Paul there while he is in prison. And he is so grateful, he's writing the note now back to the Philippians, thanking them for what they have done for him. But it's also a note writing to the Philippians to say, you need to carry on. It's now up to you to go into the world and to continue to share the gospel, to be those who go make a better world. We've already been looking, as we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, how it is Paul who is asking us to ask ourselves the question this year, what is good for us? Not what is good for me, that's the question the world seems to be asking. What's good for me? What do I want? Paul says we need to ask the question, what is good for us? Paul says we need to be unified. We need to be unity, a community. And that does not mean that we should all think alike. No, he says there's one thing that we can all agree on, and that is the greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's one thing we can all agree on. Now we may disagree about how to do that and how that plays out. I love the line when Paul said to the Philippians, with love overflowing, you will have knowledge and insight to decide what is best. Yes, we will disagree on things, but if we have overarching agreement, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor, then we can have unity. Even in diversity, even in our disagreements, we don't yell and scream at each other and 
and run the other person down and degrade other people? We agree. What does this mean to love God and to love our neighbors? We've talked about what does it mean to start each day asking, how am I going to share God's love today? What am I going to do today to share God's love? If these are the things that we are doing, then God will use us in this crazy time. However, as I was preparing this sermon, one of the scriptures that jumped out at me was when Paul was saying, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Sounds to me like Paul didn't think any more of his generation than we do of ours. A crooked and perverse generation. I thought maybe, maybe that's just human nature. It's the way it's always been. I don't know. I just know that right now, the world needs a message of kindness and of hope. There needs to be light shining in the darkness. And you and I are going to strive to develop a habit of helping from the heart. We're going to work to let God use us together to help build a better world. So today we continue on looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today in our scripture we were looking at the second chapter. And I just want to share two thoughts. First of all, Paul said... God is at work in you, enabling you to both will and work to God's pleasure. God is at work in you. Do you believe that? That God is at work in you? If you don't, I would like to suggest you're not listening. Because I know God is at work in you. That's the promise we believe in a thing called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is the idea God's grace goes before us. God's grace is working in us even when we don't see and understand. We believe God is working in us. It's about faith and you and I know faith is not a set of beliefs. It's not about right and wrong. Faith is trust. To have faith is to trust in God's constant love of us, His children. If you are trusting in God's love for you, if you believe in prevenient grace, that God's grace is going before and working in you, then you and I develop a spirit where we're less likely to just react to things and be upset and know that things have gone bad and instead you start looking for how God has been working in your life. Sometimes that becomes clear in a moment. Sometimes you don't see it for years. But we all have had those times. If you're listening and you're open, you know that spirit of just being angry all the time, being dismissive, being harsh, if that's where we live, you don't hear God speak. You don't see God working in your life. God, Paul said, is at work in you. 
You know, right now when I've been reading, we're using the NRSV Bible for this sermon series. That's the new Revised Standard Version. Usually, um, we're using the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. Now, I had somebody ask me, why do we use the RSV? And I had to think about it, and finally I realized it's because Marcia gave this to me back in 1975. It's a Bible from the Holy Land, and she gave it to me as a present back in 1975, so that's why we at St. Luke's use the RSV. I was really hoping there was some greater theological reason I couldn't come up with, but, but as I was working on this sermon series, I went and read the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, because I've been reading the RSV and preaching from it for 48 years, and I thought, you know, maybe it'd be nice to get a fresh reading, and I did, and several things jumped out to me that were now translated in a little different way. You see, the RSV came out in the 1940s. The RSV was printed, and they worked at translating the Bible differently because many people were tired of the King James Version. Now, some people believed that's how Jesus spoke. Now, some people were really, how can you change the King James Version? That's what Jesus said. But finally, in the 1940s, we came out with the RSV. Then we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. We had all kinds of archaeological digs. We learned more things. And the world was now really changing in its language. And so there were 35 scholars who worked for 17 years to produce the NRSV. It's a wonderful translation of the Bible. They stepped back to the original Greek manuscripts. They had the original Hebrew manuscripts. They put down the RSV and they read through it and said, are there better ways we can say these things? Several lines that I'd read forever in Philippians jumped out at me and spoke to me in a wonderful way. One of the people who worked on the RSV and the NRSV was Marvin Pope. Marvin Pope was considered probably the world's most uh, special person on the subject of Ugaretics. Ugaretics is the language that was from Ugaret, the city of Ugaret in Syria. It's a city that is actually 9,000 years old. When you think about that, 9,000 years old. It was destroyed 2,000 years ago by the Romans. But the reason it's important is because there were so many Jews who came to live in Ugaret, especially during captivity of Babylon. Many came to live there, and it's where they wrote down the Hebrew Scriptures. And so if you can understand Ugaret, its society and language, you understand better what the people who wrote the Hebrew Scriptures were trying to say. So Dr. Pope is the world's foremost leading uh, knowledgeable person about Ugaretics. The question should come to your mind is, how do you decide to become the world's foremost person in Ugaretics? If you ask a second grader, what are you going to be when you grow up? They usually say, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a teacher or preacher or doctor. I've never heard a second grader say, oh, I want to be a professor in Ugaretics. Dr. Pope didn't say that either. No, he went to Duke back in the 1930s. 
And when he was a freshman, he received his class schedule. Now, in those days, you don't have a computer. Nothing's a printout like that. Everything was hand done. And so they handed him his schedule, the class where he was supposed to go, the room, the hour. He got his class schedule. He knew what he was supposed to be taking. He went. He came in the room and sat down. And when the professor came in, he wrote on the board, Hebrew 101. And Dr. Pope thought, I didn't sign up for Hebrew. I don't know Hebrew. I don't want to know Hebrew. <laughs> Somebody back in the registrar office had transposed the last two numbers. They had messed it up and they had sent him to the room for Hebrew 101. Now today, what I can see happen is slam the book, get up and walk out, storm back over to the registrar's office. Who's the idiot that sent me to the wrong room? I didn't sign up for Hebrew. That seems to be the spirit you read on social media, in the news. You see people reporting sport. Just such anger. But that's not how Dr. Pope handled it. He thought it would be rude to get up and walk out in front of a professor as he was starting class. And so he thought, I need to sit here for the next hour. Then I will go to the registrar's office and get this straightened out. But at the end of that hour, he was hooked. The professor was so interesting and he made it so amazing. At the end of an hour, he's going, I want to learn Hebrew. In fact, he changed his major to Hebrew. And then he started going on archaeological digs. It was so fascinating to start digging and try to learn the mystery, solve the mystery, learn the stories of the past. And before he knew it, he was digging in Ugaret and learning Ugaretics. And he became the world's foremost leading scholar. And so he was a part of translating the RSV and then translating the NRSV. It became his life trying to understand what does the Word of God really have to say? All because somebody transposed the last two numbers. Dr. Pope saw it as God's gift to him to help him discover the person he really wanted to be. When he retired from Yale, he continued to be very active in his church, he and his wife. And one Sunday morning, they were both asked to read Scripture. And she got up and read the Scripture and then sat down. And then he got up and read Scripture and sat down. And then slumped over in his seat. And he was gone. He had lived his whole life proclaiming the Word, understanding the Scripture, all because he believed that it was God who had been leading his life. I believe there are many of those moments, big and so small. And if you and I would try to develop a spirit when things don't go the way you plan and things get messed up, if we would develop a spirit where it's not one of suddenly anger, we're not suddenly cynical and so frustrated, harsh, 
But if we could learn to dial it back, and whether it's small or whether it's large, to ask, oh God, can you be in this? Oh God, can you be in this? Because I believe in provenient grace. I believe in having faith, trusting in God's constant love of us, His children. And if you can listen, then you will discover that God is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work for God's pleasure. Secondly, one of those lines that gets translated differently in the NRSV, in the RSV, is the last line we're reading when it said, and you shine as lights, as stars in the world. You shine as stars in the world. In the RSV, it says, you shine as light in the world. It's the same idea, but it is said just in a different kind of a analogy. You shine as stars in the world. I like that because we need light in the darkness. And this is not about, oh, look at me, and I'm so great, and I'm a star. No, no, no. It's about the fact that God wants to shine light in the darkness. And you can reflect God's light in the darkness. You reflect God's love. That's why God is at work in you. You are a star in the world, the light that is shining. Now we asked back on the very first week, what difference can one person make? And we said one person doesn't change the world, but one person can change one other person's life who changes another life and another life and another life and a ripple effect that goes on, you can be used by God to bless another life. And the effects of that are immeasurable. It's how God uses you to build a better world. You know, I came across a fascinating story just this past Christmas but the story comes from November of 2020. You remember the midst of the pandemic. We didn't have a vaccine yet. In fact, the COVID is running wild. It was a very difficult time in the world and in our country. It was there in a, a small community outside of Baltimore, just outside of Baltimore. Lots of people lived in red brick row houses as they do back on the east. And there was a man, um, it was Matt, Riggs. Matt Riggs lived in this little neighborhood and he had two teenagers and he knew the family who lived right across from him and he knew that Kim was having a hard time. Kim Morton was married and had two children. They were teenagers and they were, she was struggling and she had not made any secret about it. She had become incredibly depressed as many of us did. Statistics show how many of us found ourselves truly depressed during this pandemic. And she was finding her anxiety going up. And then she had a loved one who died from COVID. Then there was stress at work. And she found herself having panic attacks. It was just getting worse and worse. Well, Matt knew this. 
And he wanted to do something to help. And so what he did was he got a string of Christmas lights. Nobody that year put up Christmas lights. I mean, you may remember, it was really a dark time, a depressive time. And in their community, nobody decorated for Christmas that year. But he got out a strand of Christmas lights, ran from his house up high a tree, across the street to her tree, back down and up to her home. She didn't know it. He just got out and he did it. And then he put a tin of homemade cookies on her front porch. And then he texted her and said, go look outside. And when she went outside, there was this pan of cookies and there was a single strand of lights going up from her house across the street to Matt's house. And then he reached out and told her, I wanted those lights to be a physical symbol of the fact that you were not alone. It meant so much to her. Somebody else in the world. It really moved her, but you know, it also moved other neighbors. There were next door neighbors who also knew that Kim was struggling and they thought this was wonderful. And so the next day, suddenly there's another light, set of lights that goes up the tree, across the street, to her tree, down into her house. But they also loved their next door neighbor and so a strand of lights ran over there and across the street to this other person and then this other person, but I know that there's a person ran lights across this way and back down this way and suddenly this end of the street just began to light up. It was all organic. Nothing was planned. Nobody said anything. It's just, yeah, you're not alone. Melissa, down at the end of the block, she wanted to get in it because she felt so badly. She went and got wire hangers and formed them into letters and wrapped them into lights. And the next night when people went outside, they saw now it said, love lives here. Right in the middle of the street, hanging over it with more lights running from side to side. It wasn't long at all. You need to go online and go look for these pictures. This place is ablaze in light. And it so inspired everyone on that street that it inspired the next street over and the next street this way and more streets that away. And in no time at all, you had hundreds of homes all up and down in that area who were ablaze in light. And it did so much for everybody in their spirit. And Matt, who ran the original one strand over to Kim, said, we did this for Kim, and what we discovered was we all needed it. It was a blessed year. When it came to this year in November, again, no one had to say anything, and suddenly one night you looked outside and everybody was out putting up their light stringing it from house to house, side to side, across the street. Everyone agreed. They wanted to do it every year because it made them feel so connected and you weren't alone. It touched their soul. And this year when it was all going on, they went out to go do a, a story on it and they went out to go interview Kim, the original person for whom Matt ran that first strand of lights to her home as a physical symbol to say, you're not alone. And they went to Kim and they asked her, did it make a difference? And she talked about how it changed her life. She said, what Matt did 
it made me look up, literally and figuratively, above all the things that were dragging me down. It was light pushing back the darkness. You are a star in the world. Light pushing back the darkness. God is at work in you, both to will and to work for God's pleasure. God will use you and me as we develop a habit from the heart of helping. He can and will use us this year to build a better world. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.